This podcast is brought to you by nbs.fm, the no bullshit podcast network. Welcome to 5x5. 5x5 is the five minute podcast that drops five days a week. You never know what the topic will be, but we promise it will be interesting. Now, season one is a pilot season for the NBS podcast network. So if you're enjoying 5x5, don't forget to hit subscribe. That will tell us you want more of this and we'll produce a season two. Talking about season two, if you know someone that has a compelling story or can drop actionable insights in a five-minute show, send us a recommendation. Email hello at nbs.fm. Now on to today's show. Hi, I'm TK, the creator of the podcast For the Love of History, and I'm going to tell you the real story of Captain Morgan. You're walking down the liquor aisle. You see him, Captain Morgan. I know what you're thinking. He's just some dude a group of advertisers came up with, right? Wrong, friend. Very wrong. He was a real dude, and he may have been a real asshole. Henry Morgan was a privateer, which is basically like a pirate for the government. Through the 1600s, being a pirate was super illegal. And if the Pirates of the Caribbean series has taught me anything, it's that they hang pirates. But the English government and other European countries made special exceptions for some pirates. They would use these privateers, as they were called, to protect their merchant ships and to fight some fights that the governments didn't want to fight because they were undignified and hard. Well, little baby Henry grew up in an upper-class family in Wales and fell in love with the idea of being one of these swashbuckling good guy pirates. So that's exactly what he did. In the mid-1600s, he took his happy little butt on over to the Caribbean and presented himself in front of the Brethren of the Coast, the privateer bosses for the English. Turns out Morgan was really good at being a privateer. After working his way up the ranks, he became the leader of the Brethren of the Coast at age 23. He was in charge of about 1,500 men, and they all relied on him for work and therefore for protection from being classified as a pirate again. They were all on thin ice when it came to the privateer pirate classification, and many ships would fall into the pirate side when they had no work. As for being a leader, Morgan was pretty good. He made sure his men were well paid and had a kind of accident insurance in place. For example, you lose an eye, you get some money. You lose an arm, you get some money too. So things were going pretty good for Morgan and he was making money and a name for himself until the governor of Jamaica asked him specifically to attack Panama, which was being controlled by the Spanish. At the time, Jamaica was an English territory, and they were competing with Spain over land in the Caribbean and South America. This was a big deal for Morgan. We have some accounts of other raids by Morgan and his crew, but the only account we have of the Panama raid is from this guy named Alexandre Exquemelin, who was a doctor in Morgan's crew at the time. In the book, the Buccaneers of America, Exquemelin would publish later, and in it he wrote about what an utter asshat Morgan was in Panama, describing things like 
tying nuns and priests together to shield himself from bullets from the Spanish army and forcing women to be his pirate wife for a night. But after the book was published, Morgan was pretty pissed and said all of the stuff in there wasn't true. So we don't really know who to believe. So just take both sides with a grain of salt. But the story continues. Morgan returned to Jamaica victorious with a boatload of money, but little did he know Spain and England had made up. He had actually been attacking England's ally, therefore making his actions pirate actions. Spain was not happy and England was like, oops, how bad. So England took Morgan's money and sent him to jail. But when he got back to England, people had heard about the Panama raid and they loved him because of his great victory. So they couldn't jail him without a bunch of public outcry. So they gave him some money and let him live his life as a upper class gentleman. He would live to the ripe old age of 53 and die in 1688. But in 1944, when the Seagram's company was looking for a way to make their new rum brand unique, they put his picture on the bottles. And now he continues to be there, clad in red, magnificently perched upon a barrel of rum for the rest of time. <laughs>